Thanks for tuning in to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Laura Chapman, the Care and Connections Pastor here at Rolling Hills Community Church. We are so glad that you've joined us today for the first week of our series, Finish Strong. Today, you'll hear from Bible teacher and writer, Kelly Minter. She'll be teaching from the first chapter of Joshua, exploring the calling that Joshua had for his life and what that means for us today. Now here's Kelly Minter. Well, good morning, Rolling Hills family. It is so awesome to be with you guys today. Not only do I get to be with you guys live and in person here in Franklin, but also to everybody who is watching online and also to both the Nolensville campus and the Nashville campus. So Nolensville, I loved being with you a few weeks ago. I've got the whole vision of exactly where you guys are in my head. And so a warm welcome to you all. And then of course, the Nashville campus where I go to church every week. It is great to see you guys. And I'm so thrilled to be here with you. And I'm really glad to be with my church family. I say that, that it brought me a lot of comfort today as I was thinking, oh, this is, this is my church family because so often I find myself in churches across the country, uh, a lot of people I don't know, and it just felt really good on this rainy day and during this fall break to know that I was going to be home and that I was going to be with the people that I know and love and that I get to worship with. So um, I'm going to invite you today to turn to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 1. We are starting a new series called Finish Strong. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but when Pastor Jeff told me that we were starting a new series called Finish Strong, um, I thought, this is kind of a funny year to start a series like that because this is a year where we didn't really start strong. This is 2020, and we really didn't even have a strong middle. I mean, during the middle, we were locked in our homes, and kids were locked in our homes with us, or nieces and nephews, or whatever it might be. I mean, this is not a great year to think about finishing strong, because I don't know that we started strong. I don't know that we really had a strong middle. And yet, we're going to see that this is the perfect series for this year, because the people of Israel did not really start strong either, and their not strong middle is what we like to refer to as the wilderness, So we are going to start this new series, and the good news is that even if you didn't start strong this year, we have the chance to finish strong, not so much as it relates to ourselves, but because God is faithful, because God's promises are faithful, and because he promises to be with us, and that is why we can finish strong today. So I'm really looking forward to this series. Uh, If you're set in Joshua 1, we're going to open there in a moment, but even though we are at the very top of the book of Joshua, what we have to understand is that we are right in the middle of Israel's story. And so in order for us to really understand what's happening at the top of Joshua, I got to give you a little bit of a backstory here. And really, the story of Israel begins in Genesis chapter 12. If you're ever wondering where their story begins, Genesis chapter 12 where God came to a man named Abram. Later, his name is changed to Abraham, and he makes a covenant with him. And he promises him three things. He promises him land, descendants, and that through his descendants, which would ultimately become a nation, through that nation, all nations on the earth would be blessed. So land, descendants, and this promise of redemption. That's what Abraham has promised. Now, he goes to the land of Canaan, 
Uh, he has Isaac. Isaac and Rebekah have Esau and Jacob. Many of you know the story of Jacob. He marries Rachel and Leah. They have sons through Rachel and Leah and also through two maidservants. Those 12 sons ultimately become the 12 tribes of Israel. But before they turn into the 12 tribes of Israel, you guys know that they sold one of their brothers, Joseph, into slavery. So Joseph goes down into Egypt, not the land of promise, not Canaan. And yet, much like we're going to see in Joshua chapter 1, God was with Joseph. Later, he sustains not just Egypt from famine, but the surrounding nations from famine. And those nations come eventually to Egypt. And there for 400 years, the Hebrew people begin to grow into the nation of Israel. And they do so while in Egypt. But 400 years later, there is this new Pharaoh that arises, and he doesn't know anything about Joseph. He doesn't know anything about the Israelites. And there is a tremendous amount of oppression and abuse and hardship that takes place. The people of God's people, the Hebrew people, are living in oppressive times in this place of Egypt. Now, we know that God then raises up a man named Moses to deliver his people out of the bondage, out of the slavery of Egypt. Moses goes, he, he um, performs incredible wonders, incredible miracles uh, to get the Israelites out of Egypt, out of this place of bondage and slavery. They get to the edge of the Red Sea. He parts the Red Sea. The Israelites go through. The Egyptians follow behind. And as soon as the Israelites get to dry land on the other side, it closes up over top of the Egyptians. Now the Israelites are in the wilderness, but they are not meant to stay in the wilderness. They are to go to the promised land. God got them out of Egypt so that he could bring them into the promised land. But we know what happens. Because of the Israelites' unbelief, because of their rebellion, they stay in the wilderness for 40 years. But before that, as they're in the wilderness, they have the opportunity to go and to spy on the promised land. And many of you guys will know this story. Twelve representatives from the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel go in and they say, oh my goodness, it's amazing. I mean, the clusters of grapes are so incredible because you know that anytime we go someplace, it is always the cluster of grapes that we come back talking about, right? It was those amazing grapes. They had to carry them on a pole. And they came back and they said, the grapes are amazing. And truly it does flow with milk and honey, but the people are giants and we look like grasshoppers. There's no way we can take this place. Yes, God was faithful to get us out of uh, the land of slavery, but we don't think that he is faithful enough to get us into the land of promise. And only two men, Joshua and Caleb say, no, God promised us this. This is our inheritance. This is our possession. We need to go in and take it. And the rest of the Israelites, uh, the other 10, they convinced the, all the Israelites that God would not be faithful. And Aaron and Moses, this is in the uh, book of Numbers, they're laying on the ground. They're wailing. Everybody's sobbing. I mean, it's a disaster. And God, as a result, says that no one who is over the age of 20 at that point will inherit the promised land. Yes, they will be forgiven, but the consequence will be that they cannot inherit the land. Only those who are under 20 and Joshua and Caleb. Now, 40 years have gone by in the wilderness, and here we are going to open up the book of Joshua in this series, Finish Strong, with Joshua and the Israelites on the brink of the Jordan River on the east side. The Jordan River runs north to south. They're trying to get to the west side, the land of promise. They're on the east side, and they are going to have to cross 
they're going to have to traverse this river, and we will see what God has to say to Joshua and to the people of Israel, Joshua chapter one, and we'll read the first nine verses. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you and all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan to the land I am giving the Israelites. I have given you every place where the sole of your foot treads, just as I promised Moses. Your territory will be from the wilderness in Lebanon to the great river, the Euphrates River, all the land of the Hittites, and west to the Mediterranean Sea. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you, just as I was with Moses. I will not leave you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you will distribute the land I swore to their fathers to give them as an inheritance. Above all, be strong and very courageous to observe carefully the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left so that you will have success wherever you go. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it for then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. All right, a few things to note at the very top of this. First of all, it says that the Lord comes and he is speaking directly to Joshua. And he says, Joshua, Moses, my, my servant, is dead. Now, there is just simply no way to overstate how significant it is that the Israelites and that Joshua would even consider thinking that they could cross the Jordan River and take the promised land if Moses is dead. Because if Moses, who got them out of Egypt, is no longer alive to get them into the promised land, how in the world are they going to get in there? Because at the end of Deuteronomy, right before Joshua 1, the author tells us that there was no one like Moses. There was no one like him. He was the only one who saw God face to face. He did unparalleled works, unparalleled miracles. I mean, Moses had delivered them from the place of slavery, and he had walked and put up, honestly, with the Israelites for 40 years in the wilderness. The thought of going over and crossing the Jordan and taking the promised land without Moses was just almost more than I think anyone could bear. And yet we see Joshua is up for the task, but not because he has confidence in himself. And I believe that is why four times God tells Joshua and the people of Israel, be strong and courageous. I have promised this to you. I will be with you. Also, it's very significant to note that Joshua in Numbers when uh, you get a list of all of these names, Joshua actually was not born with the name Joshua. His name was Hosea, and Hosea means deliverance. But Moses, of all people, renamed Joshua, 
And he took his name from Hosea to Joshua, which means Yahweh, or the personal name of God to the Israelites, Yahweh delivers. So it was Joshua, Hosea means deliver or deliverance, and Joshua means Yahweh delivers or God delivers. Because basically, there was no way that Joshua was going to be able to deliver the people into the promised land unless it was God who was delivering the people into the promised land. This was never about Moses. This was never about Joshua. This was never about a person. God's promise of getting his people out of Egypt and into the promised land was always about God and always about his promises and his faithfulness and his commitment to his covenant. Oh, it's so encouraging because so often we can get so discouraged and think, how in the world can we do this when that person is no longer with us? And God says, Joshua, I will be with you in the same way that I was with Moses. In the same way, I will be with you. Um, I remember about 11 or 12 years ago, I was invited to the Amazon jungle. And you guys know that we, uh, as a church body, our mission arm is Justice and Mercy International. And we work in the Amazon jungle of Brazil. Well, about 11 years ago, 12 years ago, I was invited by my friend John Pack and his wife, Juliet. They um, were in England, and they had been part of this mission for a number of years, and they asked me to come to the Amazon with them. I was so excited, and I went on multiple trips with John and Juliet. And John and Juliet had been going to the Amazon for years. They, they knew jungle pastors down there. They knew some Portuguese. They were well-connected. They knew the tour guides. They knew the villages. They were the leaders, they were the ambassadors, and they were the ones that I got to do so much missionary work with. And I remember that it was the day before our fourth or fifth trip, and I was sitting on a friend of mine's porch, actually Mary Catherine Hunt, who's the executive director of Justice and Mercy International, and we were just kind of talking, praying, getting ready for leaving the next day, and we get a call from John. And John says, you know, there's been a death in our family and Juliet and I, at the last second here, we are not going to be able to go on this trip to the Amazon. And so I'm sitting on the porch and I look at Mary Catherine and I'm like, well, I mean, we can't go. Like we can't, we just can't go. I mean, there's no way we're going to the Amazon without John and Juliet. I mean, I can't even, I could barely fathom getting to the Amazon in the first place with them. There's no way we're going without them. I mean, it was just beyond my comprehension. And I really do believe that the Lord designed it that way because had we even had a second more notice, we might have tried to switch that plane uh, ticket up and that trip up and waited. But see, God was preparing me. He was preparing Mary Catherine. He was preparing Pastor Jeff. He was preparing uh, lots of different people in our body for this work, and it was honestly inconceivable to me that I could go without them. Not only did I not think I could go, I didn't want to go without them. And I remember distinctly, as the years went by, seeing that the Lord was with us in the same way that he was with John, in the same way that he was with Juliet, he was with us. It wasn't what I had in and of myself, it is what God gave us because he had called us to this work. God's presence with Joshua and God's presence with the Israelites is the distinguishing factor in this passage. This is what will change everything, and it's mentioned multiple times. 
And as I think about this chapter, what I want is that I want out of the distinguishing character of my entire life is that I want it to be that God is with me. I want to be a person, whether, and you are around me, whether you are a believer or follower of Jesus Christ or you are not, I want you to know that God is with me, not for me, but so that you will be drawn to the person of Jesus Christ. As followers of Christ, it should be the defining characteristic of our life that God is with us and it should be visible to those around us. How would they ever get into the promised land without Moses who had gotten them out of Egypt? They would do it through the power and the grace of God. And that is why God tells them to be strong and to be courageous. Now, not only does he tell them this at the top, but did you notice in verse 7 there's this extra word that is used the Lord says, above all, be strong and very courageous, very courageous to observe carefully the whole instruction my servant, my servant Moses commanded you. See, that word very is not just a superfluous word that, that he just decided that God just kind of threw in there for extra measure. It's very specific because it would take a lot of courage, a lot of strength for the people of Israel to fully observe God's word, to fully live it out. And if you go and you look at this text, in fact, I just love it so much as a Bible teacher, but he says the whole instruction at the end of verse seven, don't turn from it to the right or to the left. Um, it must not depart from your mouth. You're to meditate on it day and night so that you can carefully observe everything that is in it so that you can do it. You see, they were to know it. They were not to turn from it. They were to know it so well that it was on their lips, that Joshua was to know it so that he could speak it at all times. So to know it so that they could do it. See, it's easy to know the word of God and not do it. And that makes us Pharisees, that makes us hypocrites. The world really, really loves to go after the people who know the word of God but don't actually do the word of God. And he says, look, I want you to know it. I want it to be, you to be so saturated with it. I want it to be on your lips. I want it to be coming out of you so that you will do it. And in order for you to love the word and to know the word and to do the word with that level of intensity, you will have to be strong and very courageous. Strong and very courageous. Maybe you are experiencing that in this year that it is taking extra strength and extra courage for you to live wholeheartedly and walk in the ways of the Lord, not going to the left, not going to the right, which is what is so, uh, such a pull for us, isn't it? I, I said in the uh, first service this morning that when I landed on planet Earth, I just had such a hunger for the things of this world. I mean, just anything that the world had to offer, the sparkle, the flash, all, I mean, I was just all about it. And it's really interesting because this passage 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul reflects on this chapter of Joshua, and he says that the Israelites wandering in the desert um, is actually for our current modern day understanding and so that we can learn a lot from it. And it says that they wandered in the wilderness because they were idolatrous, because they longed and went after the things of this world. And as a result, they wandered in the wilderness and many of them did not get to enjoy the promised land that God had set them free to enjoy. God was not just trying to get them out of Egypt. He was trying to get them into a place of flourishing and promise. And this means a lot to me because, like I said, I always had just had this zeal and this passion for the things of this world. I mean, I was just passionate for it. But praise God, he had delivered me from Egypt. He had delivered me from the place of slavery. I, um, he had saved me as a child. And so I thank him for that. But we struggled. The Lord and I struggled, and I struggled to obey his word and to not turn from it to even to the left a little bit, not to the right a little bit. And there were times where um, I just had to get on my hands and my knees before the Lord and say, Lord, I am wanting and willing to be obedient to who you are and to what you say for me to do, but it pains me. And, and by his grace, he gave me the courage and he gave me the strength at different times in my life and they shifted my life forever. And I'm so thankful because left to my own devices, I guarantee you I would have not gotten up at 5.20 in the morning on a rainy day to be here. But it is the joy of my life because the Lord has changed me. His word, we need to know it just like Joshua and the people of Israel needed to know it. Now, why? Why? He says at the end of verse 8, if you carefully observe everything written in it, you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Earlier, he says that you will have success wherever you go. I think so oftentimes we're looking for that one path, like what is the Lord's will for me? What is that exact path? Honestly, here, he says, as long as you don't turn away to the left or to the right of God's word, I don't know that it matters if you go to the left or to the right. Do you know what I'm saying? You're going to succeed whether it's left or right, as long as you don't stray from the word of God. He says, you will be given success wherever you go and in whatever you do if you live according to his word. Whatever you do and wherever you go, prosperity and success. Now, just for kicks, let's just say that I were to tell you that, that, that if you really just commit yourself to the word of God at the end, through the end of 2020, and at January 1, 2021, the whole year, God was going to make you succeed and prosper. Everything you did, everywhere you went, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Success and prosperity, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? <laughs> so, uh, I love it. I'm getting, I'm getting answers out here live in the room. Okay, a lot of times, if I'm honest, I'm thinking, okay, money. I mean, God is gonna bless my work. He is gonna, I'm gonna like double the, the money, double the fame, double the notoriety, or maybe I'm gonna meet that man, or my family is going to be settled, or I'm gonna have, my kid's gonna get the scholarship to Harvard. I mean, we are gonna prosper, we are gonna succeed. And, 
Here's the good news and the bad news. The, the bad news is that this really has nothing, not even in the Old Testament, this really word prosperity and success has nothing to do with financial blessing. It can include that, but that's not really what it means. Um, it is all about the eternal things. It is about living for the right things, having prosperity and success in what matters, in what is lasting, in what is fulfilling, in what is satisfying, in what has to do with God's kingdom and his people. Um, this is the satisfying life. And honestly, I'm thankful that this is not just about finances or that type of prosperity because all we have to do is look around and see that that doesn't satisfy. Fame is short. Money's temporal. It's fleeting. It's limited. The Lord is giving us this eternal prosperity, this eternal success that we can experience in the here and now. Again, being back in the Amazon a few years ago, as the Lord has begun to establish our ministry there, and I was with our national director, Sarah, and we, were, we had just walked out of an old hut. And this hut is where my friend Clarinha lives. And Clarinha is, uh, she is someone, she's about my age, she has cerebral palsy, and she's one of the first people that I met in the Amazon. She cannot sit up by herself, she has never been able to feed herself, she can't walk. Um, she is bound to this hammock. And it is always difficult to see Clarinha, and it's all, always a joy to see Clarinha because I do believe that Clarinha has a relationship with Jesus. And we see her every single time we go, and every single time we have an opportunity to pray over her, to ask her how she's doing, to worship in her hut. And I remember leaving that hut one day, and I'm there with Sarah, and we're kind of on the edge of the Amazon River, and Sarah and I, we just begin to cry, and we're just hugging each other, and I kind of push back, and I look at her, and I said, Sarah, you do realize that we get to be part of the most important work in the world. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else than on this strip of land in the Amazon River. This is the most important work in the world. And you know what? I really believe with all my heart is that the most important work in the world is the work that God has called you to do. Whatever it is that God has called you to do in his word, that is the most important work in the world. And it is so satisfying. And my version of what I thought was prosperity and success 20 years ago, I guarantee you absolutely 100% would not have included standing outside Clarinha's house and having the chance to have been with her for an afternoon. But today, it is the joy of my heart. It is what I consider prosperity and success, not because of anything that has to do with me, because of what God has invited me into. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's look at verses 10 and 11. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get provisions ready for yourselves, for within three days you will be crossing the Jordan to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you to inherit. This is a really interesting couple of verses because over and over we see, and especially in this passage, that the promised land is a land that the Lord our God was giving Israel. It was a promise. It had been a promise since he had appeared to Abraham. It was a gift. 
And if I'm honest, I just think, Lord, if it was a gift, why did they have to do all the things that they had to do to go in and take it? Because if you see, that says that the Lord, this land that he's giving you, but he also says you are going to get prepared. You're going to get ready. You are going to go in. You are going to cross over. You are going to take possession of this land that I am giving you. And I think, Lord, that's a lot of stuff. I mean, having to cross a river that is swelling at the time. I mean, if this is a gift, it, it would be nice to take, you know, maybe the Disney World ferry boat over there, maybe a sky tram. I don't know, something a little easier than what this is going to be. But see, I think that we have this misperception, and especially maybe here in American Christianity, and we have this idea, and I have this idea that I have to fight against, that if God has promised something to me, or if he's giving something to me, I assume that that means it will be easy. I don't know if you guys have ever had this thought, but the way the Lord clearly calls you to something, he clearly has offered you something through the pages of scripture, and we just assume that because he's given it to us, it's going to be easy. But that's actually not the case. And I don't want you to doubt what God has given you and what he has promised you simply because it might be difficult, simply because you might have to cross over, simply because you might have to do something that you didn't, weren't counting on doing without Moses or without that person. Um, just because God has given us something doesn't mean that it won't require effort on our part to receive it. And in some ways, verses 11 and 12 are really encouraging that way because it reminds me that this is, a, this is a partnership that the Lord has invited us into. And we have to go in and we have to take it. We have to take it. Now I want you to look at verses 12 through 15. This is fascinating. I love this passage. Joshua said to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Remember what Moses, the servant's Lord, commanded you when he said, the Lord your God will give you rest and he will give you this land. Your wives, dependents, and livestock may remain in the land Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan, but your best soldiers must cross over in battle formation ahead of your brothers and help them until the land, excuse me, until the Lord gives your brothers rest and he has, as he has given you, and they too possess the land the Lord your God is giving them. You may then return to the land of your inheritance and take possession of what Moses, the, ser the Lord's servant, gave you on the east side of the Jordan. Okay, I know you all woke up here this morning and you were thinking, I hope that somebody is going to tell me what happened to the Gadites, the Reubenites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. I know that you guys were worried about that on your way to church this morning. We do not spend enough time on this, but this is fascinating. Remember that there were 12 tribes of Israel, and God had given them the promised land over Canaan on the west side. But the Reubenites, the Gadites, and not the whole tribe of Manasseh, just the half-tribe of Manasseh, had worked out some sort of a deal with the Lord and with Moses that they actually wanted their plot of land to be on the east side of the Jordan or the Transjordan. And so they had already settled. They had already found their place of rest. They were rooted. They were settled. But the problem is, is that the rest of Israel was not rested at rest, had not settled, had not gone in and taken the land. And so the Lord had told them back in Numbers, look, and he reminds them here, 
though you are at rest and that you are at peace, the rest of the Israelites are not. And it is your duty to help them get settled. And so the best soldiers, the best men of the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh went ahead of their brothers and sisters and crossed the Jordan and helped them take their land and get established and settled. And it was a sacrifice. They were gone for quite a while, and they had to leave their wives and their children and their cattle behind for a time. But after their brothers and sisters were settled, they then returned home. And this was powerful for me to re- and a powerful reminder for us that just as the Israelites, um, just as that whole structure and community was a joint effort, so is the body of Christ, so is the church. And this may have been a year, while, while many people, 2020 has been a hard year, this might have actually been a good year for you. This might have been a good year spiritually. It might have been a peaceful year where you got more time with your family that you weren't expecting. It might have been a great uh, year business-wise. But but regardless of if this has been a year of rest, I want you to know that you have a responsibility to help other people find their rest. Um, What an amazing picture that they were in this together. And even though they were settled and they were at peace, they sacrificed and they went across the Jordan to help their brothers and sisters get settled as well. We have a responsibility to help people find their way out of the wilderness and into the place that God has called them to live. There are so many Christians who are living in the wilderness and it is our responsibility and our gift and our privilege to help show them the way into a place of flourishing, and prosperity into a place where we can enjoy the presence of God here and now, the presence of Jesus Christ here and now in our relationships, in our families, in our work. Just because we have rest does not mean we get to rest. It means we go and we help other people find their rest, the rest that God has intended for them. Let's finish up with these last few verses. Verses 16 through 18. They answered Joshua, everything you have commanded us, we will do. And everywhere you send us, we will go. We will obey you just as we obeyed Moses in everything. Certainly the Lord your God will be with you as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your order and does not obey your words and all that you command him will be put to death. Above all, be strong and courageous. Did you see they said that everything you have commanded us, we will do, and everywhere you send us, we will go. In other words, we will be obedient in whatever way you call us to, wherever you tell us to. If you are struggling today and you are in a place in the wilderness, and yes, you know that you are saved by grace through Jesus Christ, through faith alone in him. You know your sins are forgiven. You know you're out of Egypt, but you know you're not in the promised land because of an area of disobedience. Today, would you open up with your hands to the Lord and would you say, Lord Jesus, I will be obedient to you wherever 
You tell me to go and in whatever you tell me to do. See, I believe it takes faith to get out of Egypt into the wilderness, but it takes obedience to get out of the wilderness into the promised land, that place of obedience. There may be some of you that are watching or that are here today or at one of our campuses, and, and you're not even out of Egypt. Forget the wilderness. You know you are in bondage. You know you are saddled with sin and guilt and shame, and you have no idea how to get to God. Well, the good news and the beauty of this is in the, uh, he, chapter three of Hebrews. The author there, in talking about this exact text, he says, today, if you hear his voice, the voice of the Lord, do not harden your hearts. This is chapter four, verse eight. For if Joshua had given the people rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Are you ready to rest from your own works? Are you ready to say, Lord Jesus, I believe you've done it for me. I believe you died for my sin. I believe that you are the only one that can rescue me and save me and give me freedom. The author of Hebrews says today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Would you pray with me? Lord, for those of us who, Lord, we don't know, we don't know we don't know how to get ourselves out of slavery. We are in bondage. But today we declare that because of the person of Jesus Christ, we say, Lord, rescue me, save me. Lord, give me, give me the life in Canaan, which is Christ in me now. Not just heaven when I die, but, but life now. Lord, I just pray for those people. You say that as they call out on you, they they go from being in darkness to being in light. God, I also wanna pray for those who, who know you as Savior and, and they wanna finish strong, but it all comes down to obedience. It all comes down to obedience, just as it came down to obedience with Joshua and the Israelites. So it is the same today. God, today we open up our hands and we say, not my way, but your way. Lord, we turn from our disobedience. We turn from the things, Lord, that have kept us in the wilderness for way, way too long. And we wanna follow you into the place of life and fullness and success and prosperity. And we will thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. Thanks for listening. We're thankful for you.